You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 400 true stories of the Old West. Also, soon to be available, my first book titled Coal Miner to Cowboy, historical fiction based on true events. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Montana, and rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He also travels with a wagon train. On his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and will soon be available on Amazon. And now, ladies and gentlemen, with his red and white suit on and his great big bulbous big nose, here's Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Hello, buddy. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Are you in yeah. the mood? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm listening to the music. We've yeah, got me too. lights up and the neighbors have lights up. And yeah. uh, we actually, every year we have our kids either Christmas or Thanksgiving. Good. So this year it was Thanksgiving. But because they're not coming for Christmas, we do, on the Friday night, we do our Christmas early with the the kids and the grandkids. So we've kind of had our Thanksgiving and our Christmas already. Really? Yeah. And it was great. So you and your wife are going to spend Christmas Day alone? Uh, I'm sure we'll have kids or grandkids around. Oh, okay. (laughs) In fact, we've got a baby due about the 22nd. I see. So we may be babysitting. And so. you've got probably been to the store already and bought like 973 batteries. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you got to have them, right? <laughs> what are we going to do today? Oh, well, just an update on the book, folks. <laughs> no, wait a minute. You that promised it, uh, me. I know. So this, you know, I'm learning a lot about this process, Deb, and this is going to help you when you do your book. You have not called me back. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> so. The book is now being worked over by the printers, and they will they are formatting it in a digital form. That will come to me and my editor. We go through it one more time. Then they print up two books, one for my editor and one for me. They send us the books. We go through it another last time, and if we say, yes, pull the trigger, then I'm going to get 250 books coming my way. I see. So it's still... And in- so you absolutely have set a date as July 30th. <laughs> At least 2024. <laughs> 
All right, Zeb, here we go. Uh, now, I'm taking this story from a book called Campfire Tales of Jackson Hole. Okay. So, Jackson Hole, I think a lot of people know where that's at over in Wyoming there. Mm-hmm. So, supposedly, it's been a retreat and a rendezvous for cattle thieves, outlaws, and bad men in the early days. Kind of friends like you and I have. Right, yeah. You know, our buddies, you know. So... Supposedly, it's been had kind of a dark and sinful past, but there's really not a lot of evidence to justify that. Uh, Jackson Hole really it was not much different than any of the other nearby frontier towns or communities. So I guess you could say the notoriety has been slightly exaggerated. I see. As far as it being a you know a paradise for the fugitives. Do you want to hear the truth or do you want to hear a good story? <laughs> yeah. So I've got a good story. <laughs> You know, stories have come down to us from the pioneer times, and there's been a few which kind of hold a pretty good amount of truth to it. And so one is called the story of Dead Man's Bar. Okay. Okay. So the Dead Man's Bar affair was actually, and this is a true story, a triple killing which took place in the summer of 1886 along the Snake River and gave that section of the river the name of Dead Man's Bar. Now, I'd never heard of that before. Whereabouts on the Snake River? You know, it doesn't really tell me. So I don't know if it's above Jackson Hole or below, uh, which, you know, that river, uh, there's places where it's pretty rough. Yeah. A lot of of rapids. Yeah. And other places, it's fairly smooth. So the writer of this story uh, visited a guy by the name of Emil Wolfe. In 1928, now, by then, this guy's pretty old. Uh, he's confined to basically his deathbed, but he's alert. He, his memory is really good and accurate. And the account he gave checked out in detail uh, with the way this guy checked out names and dates. So this comes from an interview with this guy named Wolf, okay. em- Emil Wolf. All right. So Mr. Wolf stated that he was 76 years old uh, at this time during the interview, uh, a German, born in 1854, when still a very young man, only 16, he came to America. He served for some years in the United States Army. His first visit to Jackson Hole was in 1872, then again in 1878, uh, and then finally in 1886, he came and stayed in Jackson Hole. And he said he came to that region to stay, settling first in Teton Basin. And it was in this year that the Dead Man's Bar incident took place. Uh, The account of this uh, affair is kind of pieced together with facts given by Wolf. And the writer of this actually checked out with other sources. So I believe it's, it's pretty accurate. So here's the way it goes. In the spring of 1886, there were four men that came into Jackson Hole to take up a placer mining along the Snake River. And it was rumored that there was a lot of rich gold in the Snake River. Mm-hmm. And there was. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even right over where we are here, Zeb, you know, they used to dredge for gold sure. here in the Snake River yep. right here. But this new outfit had been organized in Montana and originally consisted of three men, a guy named Welter, Tiggerman, and Kellenberger. And these were Germans. Uh, they call them, referred to them as the Germans because they were. And Welter, one of the guys, proved to be an old friend and schoolmate of this guy named Wolf from Germany. Okay. So they'd been friends back in Germany. Oh, my. And knew each other. But this Tiggerman guy was, I guess, a pretty big guy, and he seemed to be kind of the leader of the project. 
Well, the trio of prospective minor, uh, miners had added a fourth man in the outfit, and his name was John Tonar. And he was also a German, and he was promised uh, that he would have grub mm-hmm. and a split in the cleanup. I see. He was taken on as an equal partner. Okay. And that's where things kind of went south. Oh, dear. Here we go. So the miners located near the center of Jackson Hole on the north bank of the Snake River, where the river flows west for a little ways. They erected no cabins. And according to Wolf, they lived in tents, pitched in the clearing among the trees on the bar within a few hundred yards or so of the river. Well, once they ran out of food and they crossed Teton Pass over to Wolf's place to get supplies, he evidently had a store with with supplies. So Wolf recalled that they paid for the purchase with a $20 gold piece. Now, on the occasion of this visit, they spoke about building a raft to use in crossing the Snake River at their workings. And Wolf tried to discourage them from the project, telling them that, you know, you don't appreciate this river. Had they ever been near a river like that? Well, here's the thing. They said uh, they had built rafts, and they knew their business. They pretty much laughed this guy. Uh, he's a, you know, just discounted what he was saying. Oh, I see. So they said, ah, you know, we know what we're doing. Uh-huh. Anyway, Typical Germans. Yeah, so Wolf, one. Wolf learned, uh, my wife is too, so yeah. be careful. Okay. Uh, Wolf learned a little later that... Uh, if they did have any success, it wasn't much in finding any gold. So I see. it really was kind of a bust. But late that summer, Wolf was surprised to see a man approaching his cabin on foot. Well, it proved to be the miner, Tonar, the fourth guy that they picked up. Oh. That wasn't with the original three. Yeah. And he asked to be given work. Well, curious as to what was up uh, between Tonar and his partners, Wolf asked him some questions, and uh, Tonar had left the three miners while they were making plans to raft the Snake River in order to get supplies for their camp. Now, they were going back to... Wherever. Yeah. We don't know. Wolf's place? Probably. Oh, That's okay. where they were thinking. Right. What right. Tonar kind of indicated to Wolf. Okay. So, and that gets a little fuzzy right in there. Fuzzy. Fuzzy. Okay. So Wolf was kind of glad to hire Tonar for work in the fields for a month or two. Uh, Wolf noticed that Tonar always wore his gun within reach. Mm -hmm. And he kind of suspected that maybe things weren't exactly right. And Wolf, uh, according to his picture of this Tonar, said he was kind of small, dark, a man of rather, quote, untrustworthy appearance and manner. Then one day... A sheriff posse came to the cabin and asked Wolf if he could furnish information concerning the whereabouts of the miner. Well, uh, at the time, Tonar was working in a field. Uh, the posse explained that Tonar's three partners had been found dead, Uh-oh. that Tonar was believed guilty of their murder, and the posse was commissioned to take him into custody. So you got the picture. Yep, this, got it. This Tonar looking looking like not a good thing. Bad little dude. Yeah. Anyway, uh, from the posse, Wolf learned that a party boating down from Yellowstone Park down the Lewis and the Snake Rivers uh, had stopped at the workings of the miners, but had found nobody there. Well, just below the encampment, at the foot of a bluff where the snake had cut into kind of a gravel bank. They had come upon three bodies laying in the edge of the water, and they'd been weighted down with rocks. 
So they, really? So they'd kind of been obviously put in there and not wanting them to float away. Whoever, not saying who, put rocks on top of them to keep them from floating away. Really? Well, uh, so this had come about, and so the arrest of Tonar uh, on Wolf's place is, is what resulted. Okay. So Wolf and a Dr. Hawker, a, a surgeon from Evanston, and a couple of Wolf's neighbors from the Teton Basin hurried to where they thought the killings had taken place. And a place which is now and ever been known as Dead Man's Bar. And there they did find these bodies. Really? These three bodies. Well, Gulf, Wolf gave it as their conclusion that the three men must have been killed while they were asleep and that their bodies had been hauled uh, onto the rim and rolled down the gravel bluff into the river where they had lodged in shallow water and been covered with rocks. Mm. Anyway, probably with the water moving, you know, getting higher or lower, yeah. it kind of uncovered the bodies, uh, exposed them. So uh, anyway, Wolf and this uh, Dr. Hawker, they... Uh, preserved as much evidence as they could. Uh, then they buried the bodies. Uh, but we don't know. Some say they may have just thrown them back in the river. Oh, <laughs> my. That makes for excellent <laughs> drinking water. Yeah, it? pleasant yeah. downriver to be yeah. fishing, right? Yeah. Well, Tonar pleaded not guilty and was taken to Evanston, which was the county seat of United County uh, in that part of Wyoming Territory. And here he was tried. Uh, the following spring, before a guy named Judge uh, Samuel Korn, Wolf was called uh, to testify the trial, and he mentioned, among other things, that there was a watch and a purse, both of which he was positive Tonar had stolen from his murdered partners. So there was some proof on Tonar that he had stolen stuff. He was just carrying the stuff along? Yeah, he had it with him when he came to work for Wolf. Oh, my. You know, when he was helping with the haying. Yeah. So to the general surprise uh, of Wolf, Judge Korn and others present at the trial, uh, Tonar was acquitted by the jury. Despite the absolute certainty that he was guilty, and anyway, what became of him is not clear. So they didn't keep the no, guy. No, they let him go. They, wow. I guess the jury figured, well, somebody killed these guys, but we can't prove that it was this Tonar. Mm-mm. So they think, you know, like say he cleared out, and Tonar probably went back to the old country, back to Germany, uh, because for fear of friends of the three guys he'd killed might take law into their own hands. Why did he kill the three in the first place? You never really explained well, that. Well, I might get to that. There's a little more about that. Okay. So the motive, this is what you want to know. The motive, the question for the killing. Wolf uh, knew Tonar and the three men quarreled quite a bit. Wolf had seen them quarrel or knew about it. So the original partners planned to, to turn Tonar loose when his services were no longer needed in the sluicing, the digging, uh, minus his share of the gold. Oh, so they if, weren't going to pay him. No. Oh. And not knowing really how much they had. In fact, uh, they had beaten him up quite badly in the days prior to the murders. No they beat kidding. Him, beat him up. But instead of leaving, Tonar had stayed at camp 
kind of nursing his bruises and planning for revenge. Not a real smart guy. No. Well, neither were the three other guys, yeah, that's you know, to too. beat up the guy. That's true, too. So, anyway, it appears that there was no eyewitness to the tragedy. The prosecution was compelled to rely solely on circumstantial evidence. Which was? Hardly anything. Yeah. Yeah. The theory was that the three uh, deceased prospectors didn't have enough money, or hardly any money, and so they kind of told Tonar that they had discovered a valuable mining claim, and Tonar they talked Tonar into putting up a bunch of money to grub stake them in. So they used him for his money uh, to furnish money to work the claim. They didn't like him. They didn't like him. They didn't need him. Yeah. Well, they began to pick quarrels with Tonar, and like I say, they bit, beat the heck out of the poor guy. I was afraid besides, of what you were going to say there. Besides that. taking his money, well... So, like I say, Tonar got out of town in a hurry, taking the first freight train. Uh, the attorney who uh, represented him afterwards said that he never got a cent for saving the neck of the defendant, who had promised to send him some money as soon as he could earn it, and that he had never heard from him since. You've got to be kidding me. There's a lawyer, a lawyer that went on good faith of and getting paid? never got a thing. Imagine that. Yeah. Wow. So this is kind of an interesting story that I, I think is true. Because, um, uh, like I say, they interviewed this guy, and the guy they interviewed they checked other resources, too, uh, that were that knew about this story. So there were three original right. that came over here as friends from Germany. Right. And then Tonar showed up. Now, how did he know where to go find him? Well, they, they found him. Oh. And I think they found him because he they found out that he had money, and they figured, okay, we can just take advantage of this guy. We'll tell him that we've got this really good mining stake along the Snake River at Jackson Hole, and he'll fall for our story, and we'll take him in and tell him we're going to... So they basically him. created their own demise. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So Tonar... When he came to the realization that they had taken him, uh, besides beating the heck out of him, uh, I guess he decided that there was one thing left to do. So the moral of the story is never tell a German you got gold. Don't tell him. (laughs) You better be careful how you treat people. Holy smokes. And Toner got away scot-free. Yeah, he got away. And was there anybody else involved at all? Not that they know of. Really? But again, you know, there was no real firm evidence you know, they just found the bodies dead. And, and I guess, you know, I guess if you did look at it, if you were in the jury, you might be able to say, well, okay, maybe somebody else came along yeah, and maybe somebody else uh, found that they maybe they did have a little bit of gold. And then maybe they decided, OK, we're going to rob them. Uh, you know and, what, and though? Maybe they got away. You know what, though, Ken? Uh, look at the progression of studying crime scenes and the way that crimes are committed. What would happen if they would have had a crime scene CSI back in those days? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they would have had fingerprints. Yeah. I mean, they would have had... uh, Now, were they all shot? No, they were killed in various, and I kind of skipped that part, Zeb, various gruesome ways. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I didn't really want to get into that because, you well, know, I'm sorry, lunch time is coming. And I can just put it this way. Uh, it was pretty, pretty gruesome. Gruesome. With the, with the 
objects that he used to kill these guys. Okay, well, we'll just leave it at that. I do have some commercials coming up for food, and I'd rather not have anybody... uh, But but he must have been pretty mad uh, to do what he did. But he was a little guy, you said. Yeah, he was. So he must have caught all these people off guard. Yeah, well, they think that they were asleep when this happened. So he probably waited till they were all asleep and then took to him. And I, I think he did actually shoot one of them. Uh, along with other methods uh-huh. of their demise. You're being very vague. I'm trying to be vague. <laughs> you know what you ought to do next Tuesday? What's that? Let's get some cowboy Christmas stories. Oh, okay. Isn't that a good idea? You know what? Actually, I do have a Christmas story that I found the other day that, yeah, I can bring that next week. I'd love to hear it. Okay. We will do that. With Christmas coming up, I I was thinking of trying to come up with some stories. Absolutely. Pioneer Christmases and things that happened back then. The smallest things they really appreciated. Oh, you know, if they got an orange for Christmas. They were happy. And over at the City of Rock Steak Station, uh, there was uh, some people there, a family that lived nearby, and they got some oranges from Kelton. Yeah. They came over with the stage, and those kids got an orange for Christmas. And, and I bet they, they loved it. thought it was the most wonderful thing in the world. Really? Yeah. Oh, my. Well, do that next I week. I will. All I've, right. got a, I've got a story for us. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. History. And uh, the moral of the story is don't dig for gold with people you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good moral, Zach. There you go. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.